Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been And I felt what you're feeling And I don't wanna get in your way Today we are going to dig deep into the topic of children's books and children's book publishing with the award-winning author and founder of the publishing company Cardinal Rule Press, Maria Desmondi. Maria inspires and educates others in the business of publishing. Her background in early education and commitment to teach the importance of character building enables her to touch lives the world over while touring as a public speaker in schools, community forums, and at national conferences. And you're going to see when I uh, talk to Maria, she's done some really cool outside of the box thinking that will benefit anybody, whether you've written a children's book or not, as you start to think about different ways that you can market yourself and sell your book. But if you're writing a children's book or um, have thoughts about writing a children's book, you're going to want to catch every last minute of this interview. When she isn't working, she can be found embarking on adventures throughout Southeast Michigan and beyond where she lives with her husband and three book loving children. Thank you, Maria, for being with us today. Happy to be here. (laughs) So uh, Maria and I have a fun relationship that I just want, I actually uh, interviewed her for a podcast recording several months ago. We hit it off and then we had the pleasure of meeting live in in, an event recently, uh, which is not so recently by the time this lives, but that's okay. And she's just, she's full of so much useful information and so willing to share that help. And I really appreciate it because lately everybody and their mama, including me, seems to want to write a children's book. So we're going to um, ask her some questions and get some great Um, information on that. But first, how did this journey begin? Because you were a teacher. How did this publishing thing happen? I was. I taught first and second grade for over a decade. And at some point I was in the classroom and I was looking for a book about self-esteem and about some type of a child that was going through something. I was looking, looking, looking. I found books about dinosaurs that were talking and I found books about fish that were singing. You know, they were unrealistic characters, which I think is all fun and games. I think as a children's library, there needs to be a mix of literature. But when teaching my students, I really wanted something they could connect with and they could look at the character and say, well, that character is just like me. So I wrote Spaghetti in a Hot Dog Bun. And I wrote it in 2006, and I submitted it to traditional publishers. Um, I got a lot of no's. I got a maybe. And I received a yes, but we won't be able to get it on our editorial calendar for three years. Wow. Uh, I also had a company say, yes, but can you change your characters to animals? And I just really had a vision, so I said no. And I had a, I had this drive and this passion, so I also said no to waiting three years. And I decided to go with a subsidized publisher, Vanity Press. Um, I don't know what else it was called ten years ago, <laughs> but um, it was a local publisher. So I invested in the project and made back the money within six or maybe eight months, I made back my investment and it started to take off. We needed to reprint. Um, and I said, gosh, this is really cool. I want to learn more about this business. So when my third book came around, the first two titles were with that publisher. When the third book came around, I decided I want to do this on my own. I loved the process. And so I self-taught myself and, you know, reached out to mentors in the industry and the rest is history. 
Well, first of all, okay. Now, when she says she made her money back, let me just tell you, for any author, this is huge to make your money back when you've invested in your book. So congratulations. But when I was checking out her book on Amazon, I saw that she had, I think the last time I looked, there were over 450 reviews on this children's book, which is insane. <laughs> I mean, that's so good. So can we, can, before we go on to the publishing thing, can we just take a minute and talk about like what kind of things you did to market and get that book out there? so that A, people were buying it, and B, that they were actually leaving the golden reviews. Yeah, well, I actually never... my my approach to marketing is very subtle and I, I believe in providing valuable content to my target market, my target market being teachers, caregivers, and parents. And so instead of saying, you know, buy my book and review it, I just constantly was sharing lesson plans and ways that you could use the book and, you know, taking pictures of my kids and I reading the books that I wrote. Um, so a lot of visibility. So that would be my greatest advice is create visibility, create really good content, share that. And when you create this, this community of followers who know, like, and trust you, then they are going to go and leave you those reviews. Um, yeah. So uh, let's see, I started the publishing, I started publishing on my own in 2011. And at that point, I actually left and resigned from teaching because I saw that my income from the publishing and the book sales was exactly the same as my teaching salary. So wow. I said, you know what? I can do this part time from home. At the same time, our family was growing. So when we had our second child is when I resigned from teaching and started my blog. And so I kind of, you know, transitioned from teacher to publisher at the same time our family was growing, which for any of the women out there listening, that was a challenging time. Mm-hmm. But you know, we made it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think, um, I mean, just as a side note, I feel like we can talk about women topics, but it's, it is difficult to, um, to transition just from a full-time working job to being a mother on its own. And then to grow a business while you're doing that is tremendous. And you were continuing to write books, correct? Yes. Yeah. My goal was one book a year, mm-hmm. um, on my own. And I know that seems very small, but we have sold, we're at the 500,000 mark. So sales, you know, we, yeah, 500,000 no, 500, books. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. So, so it's like better. virtual high five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I want people to know that it's absolutely possible. And I set a lot of boundaries. Like I'm known in the industry as the woman with boundaries. <laughs> a lot of my interviews are during nap time. Um, I just, I put my family first. So I do believe it can happen for women. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. And I think one of the biggest things to take away too is that it's consistency. Maria didn't do this overnight. This is something that you worked on and grew very intentionally and, um, and, and that's just fantastic. So, you know, don't, don't be discouraged if, for example, if she had, you know, taken the nose and been upset about it and decided not to publish her book, well, the story would have ended there and we wouldn't be talking to you today. So persistence and consistency are huge. Um, now let's talk a little bit about the actual um, logistics of writing a children's book. So I know from from conversations that we've had that it was important for you to write a book that showed kids that they can be who they are and um, and really shine as themselves. How did you, with your first company that you went through, did they find the illustrator for you or did you find an illustrator? How did that part work? They did. So they took care of finding the illustrator. They were in charge of the graphic designer, the book designer. Ultimately, they had the final decision, which was fine, but... When I was able to do it myself, I had 
a different vision as far as illustrations went. I didn't use the same illustrator as I did for the first two books. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like to, I did like to take over that creative part <laughs> of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone who wants to write a children's book, um, I know that question of how do I even find an illustrator? How do you know that you found the right one? And how much time does it usually take to find the right illustrator? Yeah, so I've actually worked with a couple different agencies. Um, and if you have show notes or something like that, I can yeah. absolutely give you the contacts. Um, but there's two different agencies I work with. They're both out of New York. And what I do is I contact, you know, my, my lead contact there and I say, this is my book. This this is what the book is about. Um, this is my timeline and this is my budget. Mm -hmm. And so then what they'll do is they'll go through their portfolios and sometimes I'll go through the portfolios and say, this is kind of the style I'm looking for. For example, the potato chip champ was a book that um, came out a few years ago and I really wanted something different. I said, I wanted the tones to be like darker muted colors. All my other books are super bright and happy, but this book, I wanted it to be a little bit different. So, you know, I communicate that with my contact at the agency and they will give me like four to six artist portfolios that meet my timeline, that are interested in the job, that meet my budget, and then we go from there. And typically I'll choose about two finalists and they will create character sketches for me. And then off of those character sketches, I will choose which artists I'm going to work with. That's a cool process. Um, I hadn't even thought about trying to find an agency that would match you up. So that's a lot easier for someone who doesn't have the time to go searching through and all that stuff. Um, Not only the time, Alexa, but the professionalism of it. I yeah. know that my deadlines are always met. We have a contract. Um, you know, I've, I've had issues in the past with illustrators where they're not meeting deadlines and it's like not a big deal to them. And it is. <laughs> It is a big deal when you're on a timeline. So I've never run into problems when you're working with an agency because you can go right to your contact and say, look, uh, yeah. we're behind. I need your help. And they're the communicator with that. Absolutely. What should someone budget for an illustrator? Because I've heard the illustration is the meat of the financial burden. It really is. And I, you know, there was an illustrator that I wanted for years and um, they kept saying no because of her timeline. And finally the agency reached out and said, Hey, so-and-so is available. And I was like, Oh my goodness, what's her budget? Like, can she meet my budget? And they're like, Oh no, she's $14,000 for one children's book. And I was like, Oh, bummer. That's out of my budget. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so our, wow. typical budget, our typical budget is four to $5,000. And we find that that is a good number for, real quality work. Now that is probably like sticker shock to you. Mm. So I do believe if you're just starting out, you can find someone that is in more of like the 1500 to $2,000 range. But I just, the most important part of this children's book is that the illustrations are going to carry it through. Yes. And so you do want to put an investment there. And if you can find a beginning artist that is on the lower end um, of your budget, that's amazing. Good. Go for it. But mm -hmm. do not skimp and say, well, this artist is so, so I'll go with them because of their price. Don't skimp. I would wait six months to publish your book just to save up a little bit more money to get the artist that you really find is going to do a good job. I think that's a really good point. Because, and, and I say the same with editing and cover design on, on any um, major book too. If you're going to put that much time and effort into publishing, make it right. Um, so speaking of editing, it's got to be a completely different process for a children's book. Some of them hardly have any words, <laughs> but, but, but I would imagine that you would need 
that a developmental editor would be hugely important because you only have what, 42, 36, how many pages? 32 pages. 32 yeah. pages to get that story right and to convey this normally very massive message in just a few amount of words. So did you wind up working with a developmental editor or copyright? How, how did that process work? Yeah, so I actually have a copy. Well, so we call in this industry, we, instead of developmental, we use a different word. We say content. Okay. So our content editor is the person that I usually start with. And we go back and forth maybe like two to three times. And really her job is making sure that like plot development, character development, the structure is really solid. So the development is solid. And then I work with three other editors and they'll go <laughs> through, yeah, they'll go through the copy. But here's the thing. They're not just going through the copy. Remember, we have like six to 800 words compared to what is a novel? Oh, like anywhere between 50 to 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a significant amount of less words, but here's the key, Alexa. There can be mistakes in the illustrations. And so those copy editors are not just looking at my words, but they are looking at the text matched up with the art. We're always finding something. Mm. For example, and we've gone to print before and have had mistakes in print. And um, actually in my recent book that came out this year, there was a mistake in the art and a student, a child pointed it out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So it, you know, in the text, it talked about the kids were walking home with the eggs. Well, nobody was holding any eggs. Uh Oh, <laughs> yeah, so there's like certain points, or you might have a character who's wearing an outfit on page two, and then on page three, it's the same day, but they're in a different outfit, and you need to pay attention to that stuff, because kids are smarty pants, and they will pick up on that. So I, it's a really good part of the process, but we have several people with eyes and ears on the text and on the illustrations, just to make sure that, um, you know, all of our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. Absolutely. Okay, so three different type four, well, really four editors if you're counting the first one, right? Was that four editors total? Wow. Okay. And this that's not starting... a, that's not a must. I feel like you can you can get by with a copy editor and you can get by with a content editor. Mm -hmm. I like to have a lot of eyes and ears on our content just because we're we're printing fifty thousand books. Like I don't want fifty thousand mistakes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's something that I'd like to ask you about then because that's a little bit different than what the self-publisher usually deals with with the print on demand where someone orders a book off Amazon or wherever they order it and it's printed and sent out. Why the massive print runs? Well, we started printing 3,000 and um, then we just started tracking and sales and our ebbs and flows and our what are what does our seasonality look like um when you know we have trends now because we've been in business for i guess the first book came out in 2008 so nine years now we have a lot of trends so that's what we're basic basing our print runs off is the trends mm -hmm. so for a new book we usually print between seven and ten thousand books um and then once the book, we kind of get through that first six months, we see where we're at and we'll do like another print run of four or five. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of depends. Spaghetti and a Hot Dog Bun is our book that we usually print 50,000 at a time because that one is just selling through like crazy. Mm -hmm. And the higher print run, the better cost that you get per, per unit. Sure. So do you use a warehousing and then sell them through your website or how, why, um, why, how are you selling them? I guess is the question I'm trying to yeah. get to. <laughs> no, this is a really good question. And something that like, Oh, I wish I had this interview when I first got started because this yeah. information is so invaluable. So when, um, 
I work with a distributor and the distributor is out of Chicago. Their title is IPG. And so they keep all of my um, inventory there. And what they do is they track sales, they track inventory. And if for some reason a book is not selling well, they will give us a heads up and say, hey, you have overstock of inventory, and in 30 days, we're going to start charging you um, overstock fees. Ooh. So at that, yeah, at that point, and that's only happened to us once, but at that point, you can then have books shipped to your home um, office, or you can have books pulped, which I would never pulp a book. Like, are you kidding me? I will give them to, to the needy. I'm not right. going to pulp a right. book. That's so sad. When they said that to me, I was like... Oh no, no. Like, you're making right now. That is not even in the question. So, so yeah, so then we just we make sure that we have the correct amount. You don't want to have too many. You don't want to have too little because if you have too little, it's really bad to be, um, you know, back ordered on Amazon. It's it, like help. It, it um, takes away from your algorithms or something. It's we very don't want to do that. <laughs> No, not a, not an Amazon. So yeah, so it's just that like perfect mix of what number do you need to have? Okay, they're so taking this care is, of all the shipping. This is another great question. Then, oh, you're just spurring all these questions. Um, so, are you selling them through the Amazon Marketplace as a business, or no? Okay, so when you say back ordered on Amazon, because that doesn't usually happen to someone who goes through CreateSpace. So, who's selling the books, and how do they get back ordered? Yeah, so IPG, my distributor, is oh, all okay. sales, or okay. bookstores and libraries and um, Amazon. So gotcha. if, if they run out of stock, then everybody runs out of stock. Um, and we have, like, forecasting, but, you know, sometimes things happen. Uh, Jelly Donut difference, we did not expect to have a really good launch with that book. Like, we just expected a typical launch. And um, we sold out of that book three different times. And um, it was frustrating to me because I – well, I could have just ordered 30,000 copies when we just first launched, but we didn't know how well that book would sell. So, um, yeah, that was a little bit stressful. It's, you know, it's a learning curve and Absolutely. I just give myself grace because this is the first time I, I've ever done this. I have a team and the team is awesome, but ultimately at the end of the day, I'm still the decision maker and that puts a lot of pressure yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that go with it because you are still also continuing to create content. You're working with other clients through your business. You're managing all of these books. Um, I mean, how, how do you, and you're working on a limited time schedule because you are home with your children. So how, how are you balancing it all? How is it all happening? <laughs> well, I do have a team and that's something that I just started, I think about two years ago, I started adding members and, you know, I'm constantly educating myself through podcasts, through attending summits and attending conferences. And I've just more recently allowed myself to go to in-person conferences, which mm -hmm. is not only educational, but oh my goodness, emotionally so satisfying for myself and my soul. Mm -hmm. so, and that's how I learn. I learn from my mistakes and I just say, how can I do it better next time? And, you know, I actually just had a call with someone last week and she's going to help me kind of like start tracking the sales and making better decisions on how many books to order so that we're not running out of copies. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So I promised the audience that you were going to talk to us about some of your, um, your outside of the box thinking. So for those of you who don't know this, this was new to me when Maria told me, so this is not my knowledge. I'm just passing on what she already shared with me. You can get paid to go read your book at schools, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is great news for children's authors. So all these times that they've been sending home these sheets of, of paper to me that says, this author's going to be in the school, you know, come meet this author or whatever. 
you can be a paid guest speaker. So tell us about that and then tell us about your way to get around the limitations that you have on travel. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, just become aware with what your state's budgets are. Our state actually gives, I think it's called Title V money for speakers to come to elementary schools. And um, depending on like what area you're in, you get a different amount. So I just, when I was a teacher, I started doing the research, the school that I worked at, I was like, can I take a look at like what authors have we had in the past? And let me look at their fees. And I just kind of like started putting it all together. And I was like, well, a new author who has one title is not gonna charge this fee. And so I actually started off free for the first few visits and then I started with a really low fee I typically do a half day I figured out how it's set up and um, typically an author will go in and give two to three presentations for different grade levels so you might you know have kindergarten by itself first second and third grade fourth and fifth grade by themselves and then I I designed programs I have several different programs and everything connects to the message and themes of my books that's how I got started and really word of mouth has been amazing as far as that I don't do a ton of marketing at when I first started I was sending out postcards like writing handwriting the name of the school and the principal and sending them so we don't do a ton of marketing anymore because it's word of mouth that has really um, helped me out there yes and I mean that's such a great idea to make sure that you know the budget because then you know going in that they can or should be able to pay something but um, mm -hmm. let's talk about how you got crafty with your limitation on um, travel time because of your children uh, which I think is fantastic yeah and I actually I thought that I I created this idea I was like this is such a great idea I can't believe I thought of this idea but lo and behold people are doing this all over the country I did not know <laughs> so basically I started getting asked um, to New, New York and in New Jersey. My book is really popular in those areas. So I, I, I was asked, you know, can you fly out to New York? Can you fly out to New Jersey? Can you come speak to our school? And, you know, my answer was no, no, no. And I hate telling people no, like I'm a yes person. So I was like, well, if I can't come to their school, and I was actually giving them numbers at the beginning, but I just felt so uneasy, uneasy about it. Like, here, pay my travel. I just, I didn't want to travel. I had right. young children at home. So I came up with the plan to offer a virtual aspect of my program. So my normal program is 50 minutes, and I reduced it to about 30 or 45 minutes, depending on the grade level. I reduced the fee significantly, and I said, you know what? When these people contact me, I can say no, but yes. So I say, no, I will not travel to your school. It's not something that I do currently. However, here's option B. I can come to your school through a virtual visit, and here's the fee. I'd love to set it up with you. So actually in October, I think I had 12 virtual visits. It's amazing. Wow. I can do it from my home. I can do it in my pajamas if I want, <laughs> but I just have really created a dynamic program that works. Um, I really took note of like child development, knowing that kids need to get up and moving every, you know, eight to 10 minutes, we do a brain break and testimonials is really where it's at. So I've gathered through my school visits in Michigan, my school visits virtually, I gather testimonials and I share those on social media. And that's where I get my business. Oh, that is so smart. Now, when you do these school visits, do they purchase a certain number of your books? Yeah. So typically a school visit here in Michigan that I travel to, I get about 10% of sales. So if the school has 600 students, there's only about 60 books for sales. Mm -hmm. um, however, when I'm selling them at the schools, I have my own stack of books at home from the printer. So some of my books go to the distributor, but some I need on hand to take to school visits. 
So I'm receiving 100% profits on those books. That's so great. I may be only selling 60 books, but that's $600 that I'm bringing in versus like a 35% cut is what um, my typical cut is from the distributor. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. Okay, totally unrelated to marketing and all of these things. Do all of your books have some kind of food in the title? <laughs> um, yes, but the book that I co-wrote with someone that we, you know, started when I started the publishing company, I was going to be taking on clients. Um, one of my clients, an NFL player, wanted. Um, me to co-write the book with him just because he knew that I was already in the industry and it would be good to have my name on the book. So his was a story about his life growing up. So there's no food in his title. No food in his title. All of the rest of them, yes, because it's just kind of like, it's like a pen name. Yeah. When people have a pen name. It just is like my thing. Yeah. And I'm a really unique, um, I have a very unique palate. So that's kind of how people know me. Like what's Maria eating for breakfast? Oh, she's having tacos. Yep. That's typical Maria. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I, I like food, um, as people may have guessed. So, <laughs> and I, I love that they all have the potato chip. What was it? The potato chip champ? The potato chip champ. Yes. yes. And in the dedication in there is dedicated to my sister because she would always share the pickled potato chips that she got in school with me when she came home. Cause you know, I was the younger sister and she'd bring them home and. Oh, that's so. very sweet. Okay. So, um, you've given us a lot of information and I hope it, this didn't scare somebody who is brand new to the idea of thinking about writing a children's book. Keep in mind every route, there are lots of different routes that you can take. Um, but can you give us just maybe like your top three or four tips to somebody who is about to start this journey of writing a children's book and what you, what you would advise them on? Yes. And I do want to say that I second you, what you said, there are many different budgets and I improve that you can be self-published and you can make a living off of what you're doing. You can make back your investments. So please do not be afraid of this information because I'm nine years into it, right? right. Here's my top three for someone just starting out. Number one is to create a platform before your book is even published. Mm -hmm. so start a blog. Who's your target audience? Start sharing content with them. Tell them a book is coming and just start getting people to start following you on social media and getting your name out there and known. Number two is to make sure that whatever you're writing is unique mm. and try to look out there. Is there another book just like your book? Because that's pretty, pretty hard when there's another book that's exactly like your book. You want it to be in its own unique way. Um, and number three, I would say quality. Really focus on the quality of your book. You know, you may not be able to hire three editors, four editors, but how about one professional editor? Like, one professional editor, one professional artist, and make it as good as possible. I've worked with a couple clients who have just, you know, they've had very small budgets and they wanted the book out there quick. They've got a book out there with like low quality illustrations, mistakes. Try to do your best on that first run, right? It, it, remember, the pictures are huge. So let's go back. Um, we had number one was create your presence, online presence. Number two was try to find a unique niche. And then number three is to really make a quality book. Yeah, those are those are great tips. And I mean, we've said this at least three times, but if you're going to put that much time and effort into a product, it should be done well. And, you know, 
to say, I, I loved your tip about maybe waiting six months and saving up the money or running yourself an Indiegogo campaign or something, get your, <laughs> do something to, to earn the money to do it right. Or find um, company sponsors. I know a lot of people, right, have companies, right. you know, maybe you're writing a book about, um, like grief about, you know, children are losing their pets, like a pet dies. Well, maybe you go to like a vet organization mm -hmm. and who can sponsor the book and you're putting their logo and they're getting, a, you know, a certain percentage of proceeds of all those books. So be that creative in the way idea. that you fund your project because I believe anything is possible. That's such, I had never thought about sponsors for oh, a book, yeah. but that is such a great idea. Have you actually used sponsors before? I haven't, but I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's a fabulous idea worked with people who have had sponsors so well that is great okay well where can people find you and all your fabulousness oh thank you so i am usually hanging out on facebook or on instagram and you can search me as maria desmondi or cardinal rule press Thank you so much for sharing all this information. I just learned a ton. I'm sure I'm going to have a ton of questions to follow up with you about. Um, but we are happy to show what can happen when you put your mind and heart and soul behind a passion project and really be intentional and consistent and all those good things. So thank you for everything, actually. And I love your books. I have two of her books. They're fantastic. Um, we're going to be adding the rest to our bookshelf, I'm sure. So. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. I think it's a valuable resource for people who are just getting started so absolutely thank you. thanks Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.